Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson, and today we just have an excellent guest that's going to come on. His name is Kyle Mitchell. He's a real estate entrepreneur who has been focused on multifamily syndication and currently has $41 million assets under management. That's pretty exciting. He also is the founder of Apt Capital Group and the Asset Management Summit. So if you guys have been attending the Asset Management Summit, they've been doing some really cool stuff, really talking about that asset management piece. That's something that's not talked about enough, in my opinion, and that's really where a lot of the money is made in this business is not just in you know buying a deal and finding a good deal, it's in the operations and running that deal effectively to make sure that you're getting the most bang for the bucks. This show is going to be really good. We talk about just a lot of strategies and uh, tricks and tips to be able to really make your day and, and make this business super exciting and profitable. Okay. But before we do that, I just want to go back to uh, some iTunes and I have not given out a shout out in a couple weeks. So this first shout out comes from Godfrey 19103. But says, awesome information. I love Corey's approach on how he does his interview. It focuses first on the basics and fundamentals, then going on to more complex questions. Love it, love it. Williams2705 says, wonderful show. I find this podcast the most knowledgeable of any podcast I've listened to. Keep it up, Corey. You're a good man. Listen, guys, again, man, I love this. I love doing this podcast. Now, I'm going to tell you, Keep your heads up because these I'm going to lay down a couple tracks coming up where it's going to be me going solo. And if you guys know that when I go solo, I usually bring it like some good stuff. And I've just got a lot of things on my chest that I've been working through. And I'm really excited to lay down some fresh tracks, my friends. And those are the ones that have lots of nuggets in it. So be on the be paying attention these next couple episodes after this one this one's good but i'm getting ready to to crush with a couple of other ones that you guys will definitely want to pay attention to and share and get the word out but hey i thank you for taking the time to go into itunes because it does make a difference in my life so with that said a word from our sponsors at Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home if you want to learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. All right, guys, we are back. We're going to get to it, man. We're going to do some really cool stuff on asset management. Let's get Kyle a good, warm welcome. Here we go. Hey, Kyle, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, Corey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. You know, uh, today is kind of a neat story of what we're going to talk about. And I think this is something that I don't feel like a lot of people really dive deep on and understand what it really is. And that's asset management. And, uh, but before we do that though, I always love everybody to kind of share their story or their, I call it the hero's journey. You know, how did you get started and, and what do you think most people are lacking in your opinion? 
Yeah. So I got started investing in real estate back in 2010, but not really into multifamily syndication, which is what I do now. And until 2017, I had a full-time W-2 job. And to be honest, I got burnt out, started looking elsewhere, read all the books everyone talks about. Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant was actually the one that changed my life. And I was looking for something else to do. I found multifamily, joined a mentorship group. And 11 months later, I left my full-time job to pursue this full-time even before we got our first deal. And then three months later, we got our first deal under contract. And now two years later, we've got four deals in the Arizona market in multifamily value add. And what I think most people lack- Oh yeah, just, brother. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. And then, you know, what most people lack is just consistency and persistency. I think, you know, there's just such a- need for things to be, you know, immediate, immediately getting done uh, for people nowadays. And that's just not the way real estate really is. It takes time to build relationships, to understand what you're doing and to build a business. And, you know, it's not instant gratification. I always tell people it's not get rich quick by any means, but it's build wealth over a long period of time. And as long as you have that mindset and you consistently grow and you're persistent with what you do, you're going to beat out 95% of the people that are your competition. Don't you think that's true? So when I look at the single family game and my brethren that are slinging single family stuff, it's the fortitude is different, right? Like when I look at long guys that are buying like in this side of the coin on the multifamily side, the patient level is way higher, right? Like you go on the single family side and it's just like, you got to make a quick buck, quick buck, quick buck. And they're always trying to turn a quick buck. And on the multifamily side, you got an, uh, it's not a microwave, man. Yep. I mean, it's single family is very transactional, right? It's one deal at a time, very transactional. It's like flipping houses. I guess you can look at multifamily value add as kind of flipping, but it's long-term flipping and it's really building equity and wealth over a long period of time. So mm. absolutely. And which is one of the main reasons why I got out of single family and more into multifamily. Yeah. I just find the temperament's totally different though, too. And the outlook, right? Most multifamily guys that I know of, understand that it's a longer play mm -hmm. and but at the end it's not just get rich it's get rich yep. make millions of dollars not just a quick twenty thousand. yep a hundred percent agree a hundred percent agree and you have to have that mindset coming in here because if you don't you can really burn yourself i always equate it to one of my favorite sayings bro the bull on top of the hill with his son have you ever heard that i have <laughs> hey dad let's go run down there and go get that cow no, son, let's walk down there and get them all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Love that. Oh, so we want to talk about today asset management. I think this is a weird word that people always hear about and they look around and think they understand what it means, but most people don't. Yep. And so I want to dive into what you believe our asset management is and then some of the minutiae stuff that really is in that business model. Like what does an asset manager do and you know, how does the game work? Yeah. So I think a lot of people that get started are hoping to buy a property and then hire a third party property management company to manage their property. And then they're done and they can move on to the next property. And that's a big mistake. You know, I think in the last 10 years, people probably could have gotten away with it because the market was so hot. It was so strong and you can do almost anything wrong and still make money. But in a day and age like we're in today, 
you know, you need to manage your property manager. And that's what an asset manager essentially does is he manages them, he or she manages them to implement your business plan. I mean, essentially you're handing the keys over to a multi-million dollar business to a property management company that's going to make 3% on your incomes and that's it. So there's nothing really driving them to execute your business plan at a high level. And so what the asset manager should be doing is holding them accountable, building systems to hold them accountable, identifying bottlenecks where they need help in their improvement, and then managing the business plan is essentially what it is. That's exactly what it is, in my opinion. And it's so often what I see from a lot of new people, especially when they get started, is they look at, uh, they don't even know what to expect. Or like, that's really the problem is when you're new, you're like, well, I don't even know what I don't know. Yep. Right? This is why I strongly encourage most people to start with a mentor or like partner with someone that's like, and take and get what you get, right? Like, even if you got to take a little piece of a deal, even if it's your own deal that you found, partner with somebody to learn this part of the business because it really is learned, right? Yeah. I mean, I said earlier, you're managing a multi-million dollar business. And so if you've never been on the management operation side of things, and you're just going to take over a property, there's so many moving pieces to managing a multifamily investment, especially when you're taking other people's money, right? You need to understand that piece of it. And so I always tell people, get into your first deal, not to make any money. It doesn't matter if you make $0, you're learning the process to make sure you can execute your next couple of deals and take care of your investors money. It's the I price mean, of admission just yep. to get in and learn to play and try to get it with someone that's playing at a, a higher level in my opinion because because if you don't you're gonna go and find a management company that you think's good you don't even know the questions to ask of whether they're good or not truly they're going to be giving you their business plan yep. and it may not be the recipe that's award-winning well, that's the thing about setting up the right systems is the systems actually allow you to ask the right questions, you know, because you don't know what you don't know. And so you don't have if you don't have those systems in place, you're kind of just guessing at what the issue is is going to be, yeah. whether it's, hey, how many leads are we coming in and how, how's the conversion rate and where's the bottleneck between that? If you only know that there's 50 leads coming in and zero leases, you're going to assume, OK, they're not doing their job, but why? And there's different buckets and sections that you can focus on to be able to identify where they need to improve. Maybe it's improving the leads themselves, or maybe it's calling them back quicker, or maybe it is that, you know, the leasing agent themselves is just not doing a good job, but you need to ask the right questions to get to the answer quicker. Yeah, I love this. So, okay, so let's do this. Let's kind of go back from 50,000 viewpoint. Here's what asset management is as far as I think I've got a new deal. What does the asset manager kind of do in that point? And let's kind of drill down to now we're maybe getting into operations and let's talk about some of your metrics or KPs that you guys monitor and really, uh, and then probably some of the things that you, systems that you put in place for management managers to follow. I'd love, can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So oh, kind yeah. of 50,000 foot level. Do you want to start there? Yeah. You know, an asset manager. So, you know, we manage our own assets. And so we're kind of an A to Z shop, less the in-house property management company. So the reason why I like that is because we're implementing the business plan and thinking about the business plan from the very start. As soon as you underwrite a deal, as soon as you're touring the deal, and then you're tweaking it with your property management company. But even before you close, we're sitting down with our property management company, setting expectations, setting timelines for renovations, setting budgets, even applying for certain permits that may take a little bit longer so that we can hit the ground running 
on day one when we close. I think a lot of people close and then they try and figure out what the next steps are. And here you are a month, two months in and you haven't even gotten anything going. And that is lost time. The goal of our business is to drive the NOI as quick as possible and get the property stabilized. So from a 50,000 foot view, you know, that's what you're doing before a deal. And then once you get into the deal, you should already have those systems kind of set up. If you are dealing with a new property management company, it's not always easy. You know, you got to get them on board, but I think it's important to talk to them before you even hire them. Say, Hey, look, this is how we work. These are the things we do. Are you okay with that? Because certain property management companies are very stuck in their ways. You know, they're very archaic. Yes, this, is, yes. this is what we're going to do. This is the report you're going to get. And that's it. And so we like picking a property management company that has a lot of infrastructure, is flexible on how they report and how they work with their investors and their clients. And that's what we've done. And so we've stuck with one property management company. They understand what our systems are now. And so we work very well together with them then. I think that's the key component right there is understanding the, and the flexibility, right? Because if they're too rigid, then they're just saying, listen, I don't care what you guys think. We just do it the way we do it and either yep. like it or you don't. Well, that's not the right answer and yep. because every recipe for every property is a little different, right? Because when you get into it, you're like, okay, well, this one needs this much CapEx. Here's the building. You know, we've got half of them are renovated, half of them are not. What's our occupancy? How are we going to handle, you know, rehabbing this thing and bringing it and doing this value add repositioning? and still keep the occupancy and it's all the juggling pieces, right? We're spinning plates the whole time. That's really the job. And then as the asset manager, it's not that you're the one that actually is getting the plate and spinning it, but you're the master puppeteer. You're in control of the whole thing and you've got to look at it and know that everybody's got a responsibility. But I love the way you said it, Kyle, the key piece is setting expectations way in advance. Yep. I mean, I even now cringe when I see a post on Facebook saying, hey, I just got a new deal in Louisiana. Does anyone know a property management company that uh, we can hire? It's like, man, that's the first thing that you should be looking before you even go after deals in your market is you got to understand who the person is that's going to execute your business plan. Because if you pick the wrong person there, they can kill your deal immediately. And I've seen I mean, look, property management is a tough business, very small margins, and they're just not always very good. And it's tough to find a very good property management company. And I always like to give the example, if you drive your income by $100,000 at your property, that's huge, right? But the property management company is only going to make three to $5,000 off that. So they just don't care enough. And so if you don't pick the right property management company and you're not asset managing your property, you're going to lose tons of money because no one cares more than you. No one cares more than you. And uh, the other part of that is timing, right? And listen, I've made this mistake too. I've I've been doing this for 10 years. When I first started, I didn't know, you know, I just jumped in my first deal by myself in the water, right? And, you can, and you're like, wait, this doesn't feel right. And then, you know, <laughs> and eventually you learn it, you learn, you learn, you grow, you grow. Point where you start, you know, it is up to the owner to set expectations and to set the drive and really the game plan. A good management company wants that from you as well. Then they'll help assist you with it too, right? Yep, absolutely. They'll come in and be like, okay, so here's our opinion. But they're also going to lean on you as the owner and say, what do you want to do? How much money do we have to spend? And, you know, where's the right place to spend this money? And then you guys all come up with a, a good business plan. And this is where a lot of people don't understand this. This is all done 
before it's really done in due diligence. Wouldn't you say like, yep. this is when you're really putting it together? Yep. You find out some stuff during due diligence. Uh, you know, a business plan is ever evolving. Even when we own the property, you're going to pivot a little bit. You, are you getting the rents? Maybe you can back down on the interior renovations and still get the rents. But yeah, you're evolving that thing, starting at due diligence. You should not close on a property and not know what your budget's going to be for certain interior renovations and if you can afford that. And then digging a little deeper, you know, when you're working with a property management company on construction, if they just know they got a million dollars to spend on interiors and they just start going at it like crazy, you know, a couple months down the line, they could have burnt through every They'll dollar. Overspend of that. every dollar. Yeah. You've got to control 100%. that. Yep, exactly. And so there's so many moving pieces. It's got to look this way every time. This is the, you know, you got to like set the mold and be like, guys, what do we like? No, here's the mold. Right. It looks like this is our full, you know, because there's always sometimes there's different levels of renovations. Right. You know, here's a full one. Here's a full turn. Here's just a quick turn. You know, you know, here's a make ready. Exactly. So very important to be on it a day one. If, if you're still figuring that stuff out after you close the property, you're behind and, you know, likely losing money. Yeah. So Kyle, we set the game plan now as then we're now we're getting into this. So now we own this thing and we're now looking at it from a month to month deal. Right. What are we looking for? Yeah, we're looking at a bunch of different trends. We've got a software system that we use for KPIs, which is a dashboard that gives us all sorts of things. But the What's one thing we use um, a BI dashboard through RealPage, and yep. RealPage essentially integrates with our Yardi property management system. Okay. And what it does is it takes the information, it spits out KPIs and graphs and charts that we review every week to make sure, and sometimes daily, depending on what's going on, to review that data. And what we want to see is positive trends in every direction. But there's a couple of key things you're always looking at. We are just switching over to RealPage. We're going to use RealPage, the whole thing, not just that piece, right? The whole integration with it. One RealPage, one site, plus the dashboard component is money, dude. It gives you so much insight into your business. Like yep. I've been in, I feel like I've been in the stone ages. I've been using Appfolio and like, that's the bolt-on version, <laughs> right? But we've hacked our way through like Excel reports and it's just, it's so cumbersome. And finally I was like, I'm done with this, right? And we went to RealPage and, and had a demo with them. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be like coming out of the dark ages. So excited. It is a lot of information, but and, you know, the first step is getting that information, but the second step is kind of knowing what to do with it and digging in deeper and spending the time on it, which can be overwhelming. But, you know, we've gotten it down to a system on certain things that we look at to hold our property management company accountable. And it's certainly it's a tool to ask the right questions. Right. Yeah. And it's enabled us to do that. And we're really excited to be working with that because well. it also that helps track like your conversions. Yep. Right. You lead yep. to leases. What happens in the middle of everything because that's really one of those the aspects of this business is tenants right make sure we have you know keep full we want to keep 100 percent, and it's that follow-up and the closing percentage ability like to see where is the uh choke point yep exactly so i always use neil bawa's tool he calls it LASL, which is leads appointments showings applications and leases and you track the conversion ratio in between each and you want to be able to understand where are we having an issue? Is it applications to leases? Is it leads to appointments, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where you can then say, okay, the issue is here, not here. Like I was talking about earlier, you want to ask the right questions. And that's kind of what that's been able to do for us as well. It really is such good. I've had Neil on and Neil's actually going to speak at one of our events. And um, 
Neil's super like he's got so much information it's, it's mm -hmm. almost scary. Yep. Right. But really, that's the other piece is really it's getting the data right and understanding your data. That's I think the biggest problem with most owners is they really don't know their data or understand their data. Would you yep. agree? Yeah, I, I agree. And I can give a great example and, and kind of going back on leases, you know, there's something called a lease trade out. You know, what is the new lease for versus what is the old lease? You know, so are you making more money or less money on a new lease? And if you just look at the summary of it, it may say $250 lease trade out on these six units, which is fantastic. But if you go peel the onion back a layer deeper, you can look at each unit and you may find out that two of the units were just renewals that are actually making less than they were before. So it's always important to kind of peel back that layer, uh, you know, the onion layer further, like I said, but the other thing we're able to do now is, okay, what's the exposure on one bedrooms versus two bedrooms? Do we have only one or two one bedrooms coming up? And if you can, you can jump up the rents on those because you have limited exposure. And so a lot of these KPIs, those are the things that we're looking for two, three months in advance. Hey, how many leases are due in the one bedrooms? Cause we're almost full. We can be more aggressive with that, or we can be more aggressive with the renewals right? because we don't have a lot of available. And when we talk about aggressive, the word for aggressive is called we raised rents just so everybody understands right. what we're talking about. It's called making <laughs> yep. more more money right exactly so and, you know and there's there's all that stuff that people just don't understand they that's just think the job by the way yeah. right so that is the job of really the asset manager is to push not only just the business plan but to push growth right so like because uh, we have the same example we have a property in yuma where we're 100 full and so this was my last call with my manager was like hey man I see that on our your deal, we've got a 3% renewal rate. Like, no, yep. make it five until yep. we get pushback. So yep. like now all our new renewals that are going out 90 days from now or whatever, like, you know, they start, cause we start 90 days in the rears, right? Where we start and we give them what the number is. It's now instead of 3%, it's five. Yep. And that's just what it is, right? I'm like, dude, well, if, you know, if you're not watching that stuff, what'll happen is you just get, everybody gets kind of in a, their laziness, right? Or yeah, just like, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what we look at too, is a lot of people say, oh, we're hundred percent occupied. That's a good thing. I actually think of it as maybe a negative and it's because you're not pushing the rents enough. So there's opportunity being left on the table. So if you're at hundred percent occupancy, you should be trying to push the rents a little bit more and, and test the rents. Don't be too aggressive, but you know, take it out to a couple of people and see how they get it. And you never know, maybe 5% is now the standard. You can titrate it, right? It's really, it's like playing, I, this is my favorite part of the game to play, right? And yep. so uh, now, how do you do you mess with your uh, the sales or your leasing staff at all, or do you let your management company do that? We do. So we hold our property management company accountable. Every month, we do what we call the secret shopper report. And what we'll do is our assistant goes online. She'll start a new Gmail account. And she'll go on apartments.com or apartment guide or whatever it may be called under a fake name and apply for apartment and ask very specific questions. And we see how long it takes for them to respond. We'd like for them to respond within an hour, but did it take two hours, three days, no response? And was the response intuitive? Meaning, are they answering the questions or was it just copy and pasted? Was it welcoming? Did it have links to local jobs in the area and local shopping and pictures of the property? So we do that once a month. And to be honest, it's not always good. You know, sometimes they never give us a call back. I and mean, that's where we can show them the report 
and we can look to make sure and, and see you what happens. Coach and train, and then uh, if not, then it's not you know. Then you got to make real decisions yep. on staff and people. Yep. Right. So those are things that we do on a monthly basis on all of our properties. Are you ready for retirement? The majority of Americans are not. Failing Social Security and dated financial planning practices put strains on many retirees' finances. 46% of Americans admit they are not taking steps to prepare for the likelihood they outlive their retirement savings. Luckily, it's not too late. Diversify your portfolio. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. To learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. That's great. And they already know it's coming. So now, and by doing it monthly too, you've now ensured everybody knows you're watching. Yep. What you track gets paid attention to. What you don't track, no one cares, right? Exactly. And same thing when you're visiting the property too. If everything looks good when they know you're going to be there, I mean, go to your property sometimes when they don't know you're going to be there. Unannounced. Yep. Because yes. that's when it's going to look how it usually looks, right? If they know the owner's coming, that thing's going to be spick and span. And so mm-hmm. we always do things like that to hold them accountable. And it's not to say, hey, we got you. You're not doing your job. It's to work together with them, to partner with them, to improve on their processes so that we can build it together. You know, we want to grow with this property management company, but the only way to do that is to partner on executing your business plans. You really have to. And that's the part is like, they should know that I always try to make one site visit a month or a year announced and every other one is unannounced. Yep. Right. We have one announced, it's the official visit, but after that, man, it's all bets are off. Yep. And, I love um, that. It really has to be because that way you get to see what's behind the curtain. Right. And there's nothing better to roll up and they're like, dude, if you see like I rolled up one and you're like trash city, you're like, what in the world? Who's getting fired today? Right. Yeah. And I got to calm myself down. I get on these properties sometimes, right? But that's the reality and don't shy away from it, you know, but you can correct it, but it's got to be done consistently. So what do you feel like your biggest growth piece that you add in the asset management game? Like, how are you able to grow your guys' company and, and stuff like that? Well, you know, we have an asset management summit now, and that's kind of something that we do. And it's free just to educate people on it and just to grow people in that space. But essentially, the way we're able to scale is now we're not just looking for properties that, hey, are classic units that you can put 10 grand in and bump the rents up 300. I mean, we've got the operational piece as well that we can streamline. And so we look for a lot of operational inefficiencies where there's just either the property management company is not good. That's one way we've done it is we've targeted property management companies that we know do not do a good job. And those are some of the properties we want to go after. The lift is heavier in the first couple of months to get everything squared away. But ultimately, there's just more value to be had. I think a lot of people only look at the income lines when they talk about value add, but expenses are just as important. You know, anything that controls the NOI should be looked at. And so we look at it from an operational standpoint as well. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a, to target bad management because you know that suck and find <laughs> out what they're managing. <laughs> yeah, yep. we've done it and we've gotten a couple of properties that way. So, uh, and it's nothing against them. I mean, to be honest, I would say seven out of 10 property management companies are just not good, you know? So I think that is an area where we focused. So how do you find the best management companies? 
you know, we're very market specific. So we invest in Arizona. And so, you know, we, we don't need to go find a ton of different property management companies. So we called and met with 10, 15 companies when we first went out there. And over several months while we were first looking for properties, we got to know them. We got to see how they responded via email, what their communication systems were like. We met them on properties that we toured, got to understand their knowledge of the market. So we took a long time, I would say three, four months to finally pick one property management company that we went with. But we took a long time to vet them because we knew we wanted to be in the Arizona market for a long time. If you're out there in multiple markets, it is definitely more difficult. But you know, I always tell people, make sure the property management company has infrastructure, meaning they're not mom and pop. The owner's not the one that's managing everything. There's, you know, a payroll accounting team, regional managers, things like that, but also get referrals from other investors. I mean, that's huge, right? Because they know if they're already hiring someone, that's going to be a big deal. But everyone wants to see a little bit something a little bit different than another. So for me, I always tell people take an extra month to choose a property management company versus just hiring the first one that someone refers. Yeah, it's really got to be a lot of times go to some of the nicer assets you know, find some nicer A's and B's and B's that you like and really go find out and then ask them like, what's your top three management companies you think are the best in the area? Yep. Because a lot of these people have been in the business. They know, oh, MEB was great or, you know, that's one as an Arizona one, by the way, that's Tucson. Yep. The I other like. thing I would suggest we do, you do too is even if you decide to go with someone, go shop some of their properties, go to their property, walk it, talk with the staff. Are they well-trained? Is the property clean? Because that's going to be a reflection of what your properties are going to look like. So if it's completely dirty, the staff is, you know, not dressed well, they're not professional, that's what you're going to get. So make sure you do your due diligence on the property management team, not just the property. Yeah. Here's the real question. I've asked this to a lot of people. Are you one day going to take this in-house management side? So for me, my answer is no. So I used to work in property management in the golf business. So I was a regional manager for a golf management company and it's a grind. And like I said earlier, the margins are very small. The only reason you do it is not to make money, but it's to have control. So as long as we have a property management company that can continue to be flexible and work with us, I don't want that in-house because it's employees, 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 and employees are the hardest thing to deal with and manage. Yep. I share the same sentiment, but as I'm getting bigger, right, I'm almost changing my tune on it, right? Okay. Because I, it's, and we may change ours too, but it's as, very as interesting right to now, see if I interviewed myself, uh, you know, five, six years ago, I would have said, oh, hell no, that's not, no, no way. But the only way I would do it, like, so if I am going to do it, Kyle, what I'll do is I'll hire that one person that's the CEO mm. and then they'll run it. Like yep. I'm just going to be chairman of the board and, but I'm expecting to make zero money out of it. Yep. Right. Cause I'm already spending this money every month. I don't care. It's already gone. So I just like, well, I just, but I want control of the product at the end of the day. And you know, what's really sad. This is my only real reason is I want to have a, what I call a manager and training program mm. an MIT. And I just got to believe that you get enough units and you've got enough business that you can then create account from each property that funds a training program within your company. Cause that's the one thing I feel like that's missing in our business. Nobody really has trained managers ready and waiting to go deploy. Agreed. I, I think it's a very difficult thing to find because you need a very specific person, right? I mean, yeah, you want them to have sales experience, but also they have to have that real estate experience as well. It's very difficult to find. Or so you I love train that it. Idea. Yeah, or you train yep. it. So my thought was like, you find these kids out of 
high school or a college, fresh off ASU or AU, right? You get them, you put them through a training program, you make them breathe your and live your culture. And then with the thought that they know that they're deployable because they, they've got no kids, they, they're not attached. Hey, listen, we got a new property under contract in. Now I'm a national company, so we could be in Oklahoma. <laughs> Great, you're moving to Oklahoma. But then they already know systems, procedures, process, and the way. I like to say the Mandalorian creed. You watch that? You watch Mandalorian? I have not, no. Oh my God, you're not strong with the force, Kyle? <laughs> Maybe I should be. I'll start watching it now. Listen, you got to remember this is, if you take away anything from this one. <laughs> and listen, I've been like two pages of notes so far, everything you've told me. But you got to take down this one. It's called This is the Way. It's the okay. Mandalorian Creed. So, you know, he's a Bubba Fett or whatever, but he goes, this is the way, you know, and then all the Mandalorians behind him, his whole clan is, they're all like, this is the way. And I feel like that's what needs to be in the management people is like, say, hey, someone says, hey, this is the way we do it. And everybody in your culture, they're like, yep, that's the way. Yep. That's all we know how to do. It. We do it this way every time. It's the capital group. That's what we do. Like, that is it. Yeah, I agree with that because you're not going to get that with even the best property management companies because it's just not the culture. It goes on their payroll, right? Yeah, because they would have to self-fund that event and nobody will do it. Yep. They want to know, like, let me know when you get that property and then we'll go see if the people are any good and we'll maybe try to hire some new ones because we all know they already suck. That's why they're in a broken asset, right? Yep. All right, so... Didn't mean to go on a tangent there. Sorry, brother. <laughs> no worries. I'm going to watch The Mandalorian now. Oh, my God. Yeah, you got to get the Disney Channel. All right. So another thing with asset management is the disposition side of things, right? Yep. So what's the role there? Like yeah. trying to get properties ready to sell. Yeah. I mean, and that's a huge deal, too, because how you position it, when you take it out, is it stabilized? Is it a value add? all those things are going to matter for the price that you actually end up getting. And then the other side of it is you don't want to count your chickens before they're hatched too soon. You got to manage the property until the day it's literally sold because you just never know. But what we like to do is, you know, that asset manager is essentially going to work with the broker after you get the BOV, you get the price opinion of value, you select a broker, which we typically select the same broker that sold it to us. So we can continue to build that relationship. But you know, the brokers have helped us actually set up the property better for sale by just making some small tweaks. Hey, why don't you implement a premium unit on a couple of units, see what you get, see if that could be the value add for the next player. Hey, you're going to want to make sure you fix this item because this is a touchy point with sellers right now. And they know the market better than anyone. So positioning it for sale is also something that will take several months to do. And again, you want to be proactive versus reactive. You don't want to just sell the property because it's doing well. So there's, there's something to be said about putting meat on the bone, right? Yep. Uh, showing people another way that this is the way, right? Which is, in other words, that premium unit. You go in there and you lease something, get a new, you know, you put new cabinets or whatever it is, like super, you're upgrading anything that you have in there. It's way better. And then you get, you know, $100 more in rent for it. You do two or three of those and that's all you got to do. All you need is proof of concept. And you're going to build in all that value, you know, because everyone goes off of the year one performer now as far as the going in cap rate. And so yeah. that will be a huge deal. Absolutely. I've always found too, like, so it's crazy how that works, right? And this is my uh, experience is like, if you leave something like that, like you do five or 10 units and it works, people will overpay because of the opportunity 
than they would if you did everything up and just left a little bit left, right? Yep. It's funny how that works, but if you go do that, that premium right before you're ready to sell, just to show that there is another level, and that then once it's confirmed with the three or four or five leases, that's all you need. And it's like creates a frenzy. Yep, absolutely. People want value add over turnkey. It's, it's plain and simple. They want to be able to to drive that NOI and, and create more income for themselves, even if they are paying more for that product. Yeah. So typically, how long do you guys try to, to hold your properties? You know, I mean, typical is a five-year hold, but every year after stabilization, we're taking a look at whether we can pivot off of our business plan or not. So for example, we had one that was a six-year hold. We ended up selling it in year two because the market actually improved. So the cap rates compressed tremendously. We've stabilized the property. We're getting above average rents and the velocity of our investors' money would is better served selling in year two than waiting till year six in that case. Yeah. So we're always gonna you know, reevaluate on a yearly basis. That's a tough one. That's a, I'm a buy and hold like till I die kind of guy. And this has been my biggest quagmire, right? Is I know I should probably sell some of these assets. Hey, it just depends. Cap rates know. are compressed. Oh they my really God. Yep. I could get so much money, but I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> I, I, I like the paychecks. <laughs> There's never a perfect time to sell. You know, uh, the way we look at it is just for, for the velocity of our But it is the velocity. You, you coined yep. the term, and that's the why. Like, why do you sell a winner? It's because you can go make a crap ton of money and then go buy another loser that you turn into a winner. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And you keep turning it over. So we just kind of look at that and, you know, maybe you want to double your money in five years, but if you take a look at the velocity of it and can sell in your two, now you can triple it in five yes. years. Yes. Yeah. So. Kyle, that's a good analogy of why it takes us. People, I think, struggle with it. I know I struggle with it, right? But the truth is that velocity of capital does mean something and it really is a powerful force. Once you understand it, it can move the needle, like not just a little bit, like it can change your freaking life. Yep. That's where massive wealth is gained. Yeah. So what does the future look like for you guys? Yeah, we're at the point right now where we're ready to scale. You know, we've taken down four assets now. We've hired an executive assistant. We're going to be hiring on more team this year to two more team members. And the goal is to do four or five deals a year and really get into the 20 to $30 million space. Right now we're more in that 10 to $20 million space. So we'll be competing with more institutional investments, but we do like the ability to scale and, you know, that 200 to 250 unit property is where you really get the economies of scale. And so that's where we would like to be. And then maybe once we have, you know, 10 or so assets, probably add a market once we really have a foothold in Arizona and then possibly add a market, but continue to grow, hire a C-suite level of executives to help run and manage our business. Yep. That's a great model, dude. And you're doing it in one of the best, hottest markets in the country, yep. Phoenix. Of course, I don't invest in this market. I go, <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I'm in Yuma, though, if that makes it, uh, you make me feel better. Hey, it's in Arizona, so right? you're good. <laughs> but um, what a tremendous uh, ability to, you know, because your average deal size is 10 to 15 mil. That means you're raising on average how much per deal? Yeah, probably four to eight million, depending on because we did one, which is an assumption, which is more down. So, yeah, we're raising right about four to eight million. Yeah. And really, that is. And then when people first start in this game, you know, right now, you're, it's like a six to seven million dollar entry point. I feel like that's where most yeah. like decent deals it used to be three million. Right. How about some deals at three million is great. You know, like where are those, oh, those days? days? I wish. Yeah, exactly. I wish we can go back to those days. Those days are gone. Yes, they are. 
But so, but and that was not too long ago, and that's what happened. So that's the true game now. And I love how you're saying, it, like, listen, we already now know that we need to trade up and go to those 24, 25 million dollar tranche buy box, right? Because yep. it does give you the economies of scale that you need. Yep. And but the only entry point of that is more what? Yeah, money. Right. Yeah, more money. And once you master the art of capital raising, we've not even touched that, but I like to scratch it a little bit. Can we scratch it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So what do you guys do in a race capital? Like, how are you getting your word out? Yeah. I mean, it's for us, it's been that educational platform. And essentially for us, raising capital is about adding value back to other people um, and building that relationship. So, you know, we're not the 506C where we're advertising to everyone. We really are trying to build strong relationships with our investors. You know, you don't need a thousand investors. You need 200 solid investors that you build generational wealth with over long periods of time. And so, you know, initially we started out with a meetup, then it was a podcast, then it was an asset management summit, then it's going to be a book, which is next, but it's just kind of slowly adding value to other people's lives over time. And we're very high touch. So I have individual phone calls with all of our investors, all of our interested investors every other month, you know, and just constant, consistent communication. I think that's what I talked about earlier was consistency there's not a lot of people that can be consistent over the course of several years or even decades. People can be consistent for weeks and months, but if you can do it for years and years and years, you're going to really just crush your competition. I'm going to take that a little bit further too, because I used to think that I have to be the guy that does all that. And I used to, what I've learned is I don't have to be the guy. I can have a guy that does that as well. So we're now hiring employees that are like Edward Jones, financial advisors already have or used to have a book of business and clients and people they know, and but their product is stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And so now we teach them our product and get them into our services, and uh, they do that as well. So they, you can hire someone to raise capital for you. Even if they leave, you still own the, the records, right? So then you can put your new salesperson in. But I used to, in the beginning, that was all Corey's work. Corey's now starting to step back away from that, which is a great piece, right? Just so you can, so it doesn't have to be just you, but like that is the, the piece though, is actively touching them. Yep, absolutely. And, and you know, I don't think that we'll all be the person that does it every time for the rest of my life either. But yeah, as long as you have someone on your team that has the culture and, you know, this is how we do it type of thing, then yeah, absolutely. But it yeah. is, it's all about high touch and building that, you know, your investors need to know, like, and trust you. That's it. it. They're not investing in the deal. They're not investing in the same returns that everyone else is offering. They're investing in you and your company and what you provide and the value that you add to them. Word up. All right, man. So as we wrap this thing up, any books you've been reading, uh, Kyle, lately that's really like got your interest peaked or something you thought was really good? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Shoe Dog from uh, Phil Knight was really good. I, I wasn't sure how much I'd like it. And it's really, his story was really incredible. And that's a story of persistency and consistency. So I really enjoyed that one. And then I mentioned it earlier, the one that changed my life was Cashflow Quadrant by Rock. Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, turned the light on, but then Cashflow Quadrant really made me understand where I need to be. You put a lot more meat on the bone there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because Rich Dad, Poor Dad is very high concept. Didn't tell you about anything, right? Yep. <laughs> Just that yep. you should own something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And if you could give any advice to anybody that's new or been in the business for a while about, you know, your growth and attitude, what would you give them? What would you impart on them? 
Yeah, just be intentional. I think too many people get caught up in the like the whole fame and glory of buying apartments and raising capital, but really be intentional about what you're going to do and be consistent. I mean, I keep saying that and I sound like a broken record, but if you want to beat out your competition, just be consistent. That's all you have to do. It is no harder than that. So if people want to get a hold of you or learn about your Asset Management Summit, where do they find you guys at? Yeah, the best place to go is amsummit2021.com. That's going to be in June 21st. It's actually a seven-day summit, and it's completely free. So we're just trying to get the word out there that, hey, you need to understand how to run these assets that you're buying, these multi-million dollar businesses. Don't put the onus on your property management company because it'll be a big mistake. Amen to that. Listen, I appreciate the time that you have spent um, and kind of unlocking and, and demystifying asset management because most people think it's just a fee that you charge and you get to take and accept, but it is way much more than that, guys. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, listen, you know, think about where you're at in your journey and, you know, do you want to make it to that next level? And if you do, the first step you've got to start is the one in between the two ears. Yeah. It's your mind right? Your mind is such a powerful thing. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. So, but if you believe it's possible, it can, you can achieve it. Uh, hold on. I just screwed that up. That's my, that's my tagline. I missed my tagline. Hold on. Like I'm going to say pause, reset, but act like you didn't hear that. If you believe it, you can achieve it and your paradise is possible.